If nobody turned that one steer the four times you ran that night, you didn't get a turn in. You just didn't get to row. <laughs> Who in the heck loans you $30,000 to go rodeo? What are you talking about? We get done. We're like, this sucks. We're still going to do it. I, I can't stand it. So I just go up to him and I, I am like, is there something wrong with your brain? So we're officially hey, going. Unoffendable. You know, yeah, that that is our that really is our man. The name of the podcast is the Flatbed Podcast, and the reason it's for that is <laughs> Flatbed is like <laughs> so. As always, what is and has always been, this episode is brought to you by Equinity Products and Classic Ropes. You guys check them out. I'm sitting here, JD Tadlock. JD, thanks for jumping on. Man, thank you for having me. So. I want to explain the basis of this podcast and why we started it. And I think that'll explain a little bit of where we're going to go today. Um, I grew up around a lot of what was happening there in Fort Worth, but you know, being broke, we'd rodeo some, then we'd come home and try to recover. And we rode what horses we could, we could uh, afford high school rodeoed around there and stuff. But really growing up, there were circles of people that I just wished I could have been in to just know what the conversations were to know if the information that I had was right or if I was, you know, chasing bad ideas or bad beliefs or whatever. Um, and as a kid, I remember thinking, man, I would just kill to sit in the back seat and listen to like my heroes talk just to know, just to know what they say. Even if I, even just a microphone, I could just listen in mm -hmm. to know. Um, and so when we started the podcast, I thought, you know, I would love to be able to go find some of those people now. And that's, you know, I guess what I'm saying is for all the people we're ever going to interview, Guys like you that were around for all that, um, I, I'm, I appreciate you coming on, but that, that's kind of where I hope that we're able to get sure. to today. Mm -hmm. um, my, you ever heard the question, what was your first celebrity crush? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you what mine is. It was a black horse with a street face named Arias. <laughs> he was a good one. Um, I want to tell me, tell me just, just in case there's somebody listening, you know, the name JD Tadlock comes up several times a year during the NFR. Cause Joe Beaver always says it. Yes. Sir. JD Tadlock always said, they go, you go. So your name is always kind of mentioned, but for people that have come up later or that wouldn't know, can you walk me through some of the horses that you look back on as like flagship horses that you had? Well, you know, I, I, I was very fortunate. Uh, my dad was a great horse trainer and he taught me a lot in the time I had him. He passed away when I was 19. And I, you know, I look back on that and, and Jim Fuller and Richard Stowers were, were a big influence in my life because I was so young. Mm -hmm. But what I learned from them and, you know, the good horses that I had, you know, I was fortunate, but they started in 1980. Uh, Cliff Williamson rode a horse of mine to Oklahoma City, still owns the arena record today on that horse in Oklahoma City. How fast? Eight flat. And the calves weighed 300 pounds, you know. So a lot of different roping, but, you know, that horse, and I mean, then Real another, quick, real quick, hang on. That horse, tell me about, like, he, how old were you when you got him or had him? I got him my senior year in high school. Okay. And uh, I went to North Texas High School Rodeo Association, calf roping on him my senior year in high school. Then I got my card the next year, and and started a professional rodeo, and that was in 1980. And then Cliff rode him at the finals that year. And so you you early early had horses going on and doing mm -hmm. things even as a sure. kid. Sure. Well, you know, you, you like you said earlier about being a broke cowboy. You had to do everything you, do, you could to make a living, and 
I'll, my statement always was, you can't mess anything up that I can't fix. So hmm. it didn't bother me to let guys ride my horses, you know. Right. And in a sense to that, over the years, and of course, up in more into your era, you saw me letting a lot of guys ride, especially old primetime, and we'll get to him here in a minute. But, you know, a, a lot of horses last longer if you put different people on them. And mm. the reason why is because they don't get used to one person. Don't lock into a certain field. Don't lock field. into a certain person. Yeah. Sure. And so, you know, just over the years, I had a horse in 83 there. I had a horse in 87 there. Had Who? a horse. Wait, wait, I don't want to skip. I want to know. <laughs> I, I'm not trying to drag this out. Nah, hey, no. and hey, if this gets boring for people, I guess we'll just risk that. This, <laughs> okay. is, this is the kind of stuff I hope I okay, can well, find we out. Had the, I had the bay horse at Cliff Road in, in uh, 80. And then in 83, Dan Webb rode a mare I had that uh she was she was a good horse uh was she something you had trained or that you well no she fixed? actually come from my best friend gordy moore mm -hmm. uh which that would have been oh, timber gordy. moore's sure. dad yeah. you know uh she, he came she came from him and i rode her there a few years and then uh was I saw, it so i i do not mean to interrupt but no, was it did you feel like you were catching success by finding a horse that was already trained taking them and then making them into something better sure, after the sure. fact you didn't your your goal is not to take them all the way through the whole process no no okay. no no too too long I, I would buy horses that you know maybe had a problem or something and and try to fix it you know hopefully i got it fixed where I, they would i'd go on and either they would go to the finals or i would sell them you know what kind of what kind of problems did you see as no big deal and I, not that they were not a big deal i just mean like when you saw a horse doing something you knew like I can fix that no problem. What sorts of things did you look for? Well, main thing is is horses getting too quick. Ninety nine percent of the time, that's the rider. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, and because in in professional rodeo, you've got to have a horse that's semi quick. Sure, I mean, right. He can't be too free. You right. know, that don't doesn't work, especially in the earlier years. Oh you yeah. Know? They had to jerk those calves down, and and that's you know, which now even in this era. I still think you have to have a horse that stops and sucks back, you know, to to get that straight, fast go. Right. You know, they, they still have to do the basics that they did right. in the old days, okay. you know. So, but, you know. So had, you, you'd see a horse that was, like, a little too tight and the guy wasn't getting along with them, and you're like, man, hey, let's let's sure. see if we can get that one because I know I can fix that. Yeah, that's easy. That's an easy fix. You know, and a lot of times scoring. You know, horses wouldn't score with guys. And, and, of course, later on in my career when injections come mm -hmm. into play, you know, I go back and thank all the horses that I had if I would have just known about injecting right. their hocks right. or their SIs or their hamstrings or no yeah. telling what they would have been. Yeah, you sometimes know. it wasn't a behavior thing. It was a pain issue. Pain issue. What would you do? Okay, <laughs> you, get, you buy a horse, they hand you the lead rope, you get home, and he's been too tight. Maybe a good horse, but he's just been way too tight. Where do you where do you start? Hey, if it's tricks of the trade and you don't want to no, get out or anything like that, no, nothing I do, nothing I do is tricks of the trade. I, I I'll tell anything I did because I don't know that you can do it as good as I did. That's why I always <laughs> look at it. But <laughs> anyway, most of the time on a horse that was too quick, you get a breakaway and and, and you run the rope under from the left side and, and you just go rope and kick them out of it. Right off to the right, off to the right, and then you get them to where when you run up there and throw. They're not just thinking about stopping. Right. They're, they've got to. They, you get them in that pattern. And, and running the rope on the left side allows you to lope to the left or to the, right, to the right, to the right, and it breaks off instead of breaking under them. It just breaks off there to the left, right and there's, there it goes yeah. out of the way. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. And I, I even like when I'm breaking wind on horses, I run it under their neck where the rope will fly off 
to the left, right. you know, instead of back at you. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and uh, you know, that's just something that I learned over the years, you know, from doing it so much, you know, I've, right. you know, kind of figured that out. But, you know, that that's a, a quick horse is really easy to free up. You know, if, if people, if you know what to do and you'll take the time to do it, it's not that hard. Right. You know, but. I heard I heard Barry Burke say one time a horse can't duck if they're stopping, and I think what he what he was saying was, as long as they're stopping, it's not as fatal as if they're just moving, moving. away from exactly. you. Exactly. Um, if you if you saw a horse not that was just running off left, but if you saw a horse that was trying to get stopped but moving left, where did that register on the list of issues? Is that something you felt like you could uh, fix? Really, not an issue. As long as he was stopping, right. you can go back and look at the pictures of prime time. You know, he had a natural quarter, mm-hmm. but that's what let those guys off and spin those calves around. Well, you if know you know what? what's coming, that's not a surprise. It doesn't happen out of nowhere. No. Then there's there's ways to get around it. Well, well, it's like like Barry said. As long as they're stopped, yes, sir. It, then it's up to you to handle your slack. It don't matter if they're a little crooked or a little, you know, you know right, what I'm right. That, that yeah. shouldn't matter. Yeah, that's just yeah. That's but now your... you know the moving. Then you're gonna get the roll of yeah, the calf and all right. that. Sure, sure. Scoring if if one was just ratty in the corner. What, just what? time and you know as a you know as you get older i mean I, or as i got older and got smarter you know i mean you used to try to ride it out of them you know lope them and stuff like that i, I learned that it was better to you know of course now they have all kinds of drugs that you mm-hmm. can give them but, sure you know but we'd use a little ace you know just to knock the edge off of them to try to let them calm down and th- and that was the biggest thing about teaching one to score and and the guy i just called a while ago jerry jatan was probably one of the greatest at that and uh but it's it's taking your time and letting that horse relax mm-hmm. in the box that that's the key you know every, you know when you back up there and you hit that corner that's just like loading a gun yes sir you know when you pick up on those bridle reins you cock the hammer you yeah. know so but they so they have to be relaxed you know doing that and uh and of course this day and time i think the breeding has helped yeah right you know overwhelmingly even even physically the oh, ability definitely. to take it mm-hmm. sure do you okay Here's how you, you talked about ACE and you think about things like chlorpromazine or all those things. Sure. Um, I've always felt like there's a time to use that. And if you use it correctly and at the right time, you get through a period and then you can take them back off of it. It's, exactly. not, it's not designed to be a permanent forever no, thing. No. If you can let them get familiar with something without their heart rate going up, pretty soon, because they're familiar with it, their heart rate's not going to go up because exactly. they know how to do it. Is that? Exactly. And, I, and for example, I'm riding a seven-year-old that I raised right now. And he was doing great six months ago. Well, then about three months ago, I went to some higher number ropings where mm-hmm. I had to ask him to, to do more mm-hmm. than what he was do, had been doing. And he got a little, little, little not bad, but shaped, a little nervous in the box. So here lately, I've been riding him on guanabins mm-hmm. just to just – to, help him slow down ain't no you don't have right. to get excited right and, and right now he's starting to come back when i first started i rode it on him then he got good and i quit riding right. it on him right and then he got a little bit so i went back to riding and he's almost to the point now where i'll, I'll quit right and and not ride it on him well and it almost it almost seems to me like that once they get hot being hot makes them more hot it's oh, not exactly. the action that you're asking of them it's that their heart rate's going, and they're, I mean, they're animals. They're inclined to be nervous about being nervous. And if you can just eliminate that one exactly. part, then sure. they can mentally work their way through sure. it. Exactly. Um, not working. Okay. I got, I, 
These are all questions I've been saving since I was five years old. When you'd have a horse that rubbed the rope, as calf ropers, you know, you're basically shaking the rope, asking the calf to kick, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And so when you would get, and you see it all the time, you still see horses today. You see horses at the finals that'll still do it. Um, whether it's a nervous thing or whatever, if you, if you had a horse that was just rubbing up and down on the rope, where would you start? I had a leather, well, I call it a tack collar, but it, it uh, fit right on the side of the bridle mm -hmm. all the way down from the ear to the bridle. Okay. So it was about eight inches long. Sure. And it had real, real, real sharp tacks. And and they when they'd try to reach over, those tacks would poke them and they wouldn't. Right. Well, and the only da danger or, or discipline in that is if they're doing it wrong because the minute they correct, the pressure comes off of them. Sure. So all that, I mean, when they put their yeah. head on it, it's going to. But most of the time, you know, if you rode that on them at home, I didn't ride it on them a lot to rodeos because, you know, you. You don't want to rest. Yeah, well, that really people see tacks on the side of you. But it, most of the time after they hit it two or three times, they would quit. Yeah. You know, and now don't get me wrong. I have rode it at a rodeo because you have to show them that it's still there at the yes, rodeo. Yes, sir. Yeah. You know, because they'll get rodeo They're smart. smart. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, sure. Um, you, there's a horse that scores, runs, got a big stop, will not stay on the end of it. Where where does that land in the list? You talking of about prime time? No, 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 no. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> not. Well, that's who you just described him. That was him. Yeah, really. It's hard to keep on the end of the rope. And so, and I spent many hours on a log, making him stand on the end of the rope. People don't know who prime time is, but they're about to. But in general, in general, log them. Just, I, uh, let me let me let me re say that. I know there are people who know who prime time. Everybody yeah. knows who prime. But if there's someone who doesn't know, they're about to find out. I'm just saying in a general sense, uh -huh. did, did that – because you see people like they won't stay on the end of the rope, done, go sell them as a breakaway horse, which now you can, and it's not a, oh, exactly. a, a bad thing. But um, was there a lot of causes for a horse not staying on the end of the rope, or was it usually just a couple? Main thing that I learned over the years is make sure your saddle's not pinching their back. You know, when that weight hits, when you flank that calf and they have to bear, you know, have to stand on the end of that rope, you know, that, that was the main thing. And, and as I learned that, as I came along and got better saddles and, you know, everybody wanted to ride a trophy saddle. Well, that was the worst thing, you know. And as, I, as, as my career went on and I got better saddles and I, and I took more understanding of that to how a saddle should fit a horse, you know. And uh, I, I always looked at that first, you know. And then, of course, when the injections came along, you know, then that changed. That would put a different part to the ball game, you right. know. But it, it mainly in the old days, mainly that saddle. Saddles. I'd make sure they're not. And, and there again, when you sense, when you say they're not hurting or whatever, you know, if you had one that wasn't wanting to stay on the other rope, well, make sure he's not hurt. Yeah. You know, right. 10 butte, 10 banamine for three or four days in a row. And then if he goes to working, oh, okay, he was now, now we got something hurting. Yeah, you know, so right. I, I I was big on butte and bad. I mean, my dad was. My dad wasn't scared to give yeah. one a shot of butte. You know, I right. mean, so I, I grew up with that. So it, well, and like you said, it's a it's a way to eliminate questions because if you can beat them and they get better, then whatever was causing the problem. Exactly. So as a kid, were the aspirations you know, growing up were the aspirations of like I just want to go rodeo, or did you early on know horse training was something you wanted to do? Well. You know, when you say horse training, you know, I never really started much from scratch. You know, it was always just fixing problems and stuff. But I was, uh, you know, in high school, I rodeoed uh, 
my sophomore, junior, and senior year in the high school rodeos there in Texas, in North Texas. And, uh, you know, and I, 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 rolled, I started bulldogging when I was a sophomore. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I did that. And in the summertime, that's all I did was rodeo, you know. And, of course, I played ball. And, and uh, I, I was big and I was fast. And I was – hey, I'm not bragging on myself, but I, I was pretty handy at that football. But in those days, I graduated in 79. You know, if you tore a knee up or anything in those days, it stayed you were done. Yeah. You were done, you know. And so I, you know, of course, my mother, she wanted me to go to school, get an education. Well, I was still going to go to school, but I was going to go rodeo. And so I went to Cisco Junior College for the first semester, and, and, uh, and it wasn't for me. And I, I got my card that year in 1980. And I rodeoed the rest of my life. As you said earlier, uh, there's a lot of times I got broke and had to go home work, you know, and then go back at it again. And then it, as the horses in the in you know early '90s when I started mounting a lot of guys and more so, well then I turned that into a business. Yeah, right. You know, right. And and, and then it was you know of course I was you know in my 30s you know you're we're skipping we're skipping hold on I want to go back. <laughs> so as a kid. Uh, the horse training was just a function of wanting to rodeo. That was just exactly. there. That was just there because of a goal that you had somewhere else. Exactly. And and being around my dad. Man, I am sold on Equinity products. It's one of the things we get the most questions about. Actually, is does it work? All of my horses are on it. I'm telling you, you can tell a noticeable difference. It's the thing that uh, triggers the pituitary gland to work more efficiently. And for you science nerds. Uh, the pituitary gland is sort of like the control center for all of the chemicals and all the balances. And it's, uh, it's the control center that keeps a horse healthy. Um, I've noticed I've noticed a physical change, but to be honest, the mental impact that it has on them, keeping them calm, ready to show up, ready to go to work, check them out. Uh, you can you can find them at all their social media at Equinity. Let's be honest, who hasn't heard of Equinity? I'm not telling you how to find them. You already know. I'm just telling you the experience I had, and it is worth it. I will never not feed Equinity to my horses. If you haven't subscribed yet, let me tell you what you're missing out on. We record some bonus episodes. There is a time every now and then when um, whatever restriction doesn't allow, so there will be some episodes without it, but uh, we really try to get some bonus materials, just stupid questions. Um, kind of gives you a, a more light look into the people that we're getting to sit down and visit with. And so I want to encourage you, jump on, check it out. Uh, it's a cool way to support the podcast too. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's, what we, that's why we're doing it. Better look. You know, we don't want the podcast to just be something that's silly for hours. Um, but it is a little break, um, for like the typical temperature of what we normally do on the podcast. So, uh, if you haven't check it out, subscribe now. When you guys rate and review, uh, it really does help make the podcast more visible. Um, it seems like we've been getting messages more frequently here lately. It says, I just found this podcast. Um, been, it's funny to me cause it seems like we've promoted it. How does everyone not know? So the fact that there's still people finding it, um, when you guys rate and review, uh, it helps us a bunch, helps us become more discoverable. So everybody who's done that, thank you very much. If you haven't, maybe give it a shot. So as a kid, uh, the horse training was just a function of wanting to rodeo. That was just exactly. there. That was just there because of a goal that you had somewhere else. Exactly. And and being around my dad my whole life, I mean, we trained everything that I rode. I mean, we didn't buy nothing. Mm -hmm. I, I finally, I think I bought a horse my junior year in high school. And, and the only reason I did is because he really fit me, mm -hmm. and, and I won a lot on him. And and we bought him, and I think we gave forty five hundred dollars for him. Just yeah. went all out. <laughs> yeah, just, isn't that crazy? Because yeah. forty five hundred was a real price on a horse. Well, yeah, I like, mean, you didn't you didn't see many ten thousand dollar horses in. You no, know? sir. I mean, seventy five hundred was a lot. You know? Who were the guys you know in high school when you were rodeoing? Who were the guys that you were looking to as as the guys that 
you aspired to be as far as rodeo like not who they were as people just who were the guys that were doing what you wanted to do well i mean my you know in my era as far as roping you talk about roy cooper i mean he was you know from i remember him in 74 you know i was just a kid you know yeah. and but uh you know there was a lot of guys you know i mean you know i started steer wrestling and of course you know you had the duvals and you know, and I came along in the Alfalfa Federson era with Catfish and, you know, I mean, all those guys. And I, I was fortunate enough to get to ride all those horses, you know, that they had. And, and uh, you know, just you look back at all those guys and it was rodeo was so much different, you know, than it is now. And, and I mean, it was a. It, what, are some, what are some things people would be surprised to know? Because we hear that. And, you know, with my dad, the years he spent on the road and things like that, I feel like I've got somewhat somewhat of a grasp on how it was. But what are some things that stand out to you that have changed for the better that weren't that way? Well, I, I think a lot of it is is the getting up at the rodeos. You know, now they've made it where you can trade to a performance or you can trade here and do this around if somebody's willing to trade. Where in our day it was, you know, it, it, you, you could only trade at one, at one certain place, you know, or, or right. this is the only way you can trade. You Nowadays, you, you can trade a lot of ways, you know, and, and the hours, I, I go back and laugh now, you know, the cell phone deal. I go back, the hours that I spent on a, on oh, a pay phone, I, I mean, it, it's, you know, I, I still have the leather book, phone book, and there's no telling how many times that I've left it in a phone booth oh my gosh, at a station and, and have to call that station and get in. And I mean, literally they would go out there and that book would still be there Wow! and they would get it. And I just tell them, hold it. I'll be back through there next week. And I'll get it. And they'd be there, you know, but f time on the phone were you getting traded and stuff. That was uh, crazy. I've heard stories about people like it. I think it was Colorado Springs or somewhere. And there'd be a line of Cowboys and they wouldn't even hang up. They would call Procom. They get their stuff done, hand it off, hand it off. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it, it was just so much different. I mean, you you know, you had to plan where you were at, what time to make sure you were at a phone, and, and then the other deal was the trading. You know, and no, nowadays you, you know, it's an email. Yeah, you know, in those digital. days you had to call and get who was up. Then you had to call the office and get their phone number, and then you had to call. Most time you left them a message on a message machine. You Hope know, their and, wife got a hold of them sometime yeah, that night. Yeah. There's some ways it was it was better back then too. It seems like. It, well, you know, I I look at it now and I, I'm so glad I rodeoed when I did. You know, I, I know the phones are good. You know, f but man, it was just a free life. I mean, you you know, you were you were on your own. You you know you, you, <laughs> you know, I before my dad passed away, I I had there was a rule. I called him at lunch every day. You know, yeah. what I mean, at twelve noon, his time. Calling. Calling. You know, and that's just the way it was, you know. But you, and then after that, you didn't talk to nobody. Nobody, you know, knew where you were at, what you were doing. Right. Anything, you know? Well, rodeoing is such an interesting thing in, in our culture, too, because you take these young guys, talented young guys from small towns and rural communities, and it's an outlet for them to go see the world, to sure. go see the monuments, to go see the locations, to go meet people from other places. I can understand how that gets into a guy, I mean, it gets into all of us, right? Is that you're out in the real world. You're not in your hometown anymore. Exactly. You know, you don't pull over to gas station and know the guy's name or they know your family's name. You can't cash in on your reputation. You're literally out in the world, like you said, completely mm -hmm. alone. And I think whether it's rodeoing or something else, I think young guys have to have that experience. 
Well, it's a it's a large life experience. I mean, you know, when you when you're on that road every day. I mean, I used to spend 300 days a year on it. You know, for 20 no, something years. You know, and, and I mean, over those 25, 30 years, the friendships and the people that I met. Yeah. I mean, just you, people everywhere. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's crazy. You know, I mean, the, ro the rodeo season ended when you said 300 days. What it was the Cow Palace, right? Cow Palace was the last one. That was in uh, the end of October, and it started at Kansas City the next week, first week in November. And so you so just, you'd go from San Francisco to Kansas City, Missouri. And then it was. And then then you had a few little ones, and then it kind of died off, you know, for the finals and everything. And then Odessa, you know, you started right back up, and you were gone. How you soon know? after you? hit the road did you start having success what was was that was there a learning curve uh not really uh i, I was i was you know when i started in 80 i, I was I, I won good i won the texas circuit that year and and then and like i said that falls when my dad passed away and the next year you know I, bill parker took me under his wing and and i, and I should have made the finals uh, i was just young dumb you know would, and I didn't have my dad there to get in the middle of my butt, you know, and, you know, so and the, it, uh, it was, you know, but I, I always had success at it. You know, you meet there again, you get broke, you go home and it's ride good horses and, yeah. you know, amateur, you know. So when you said you didn't make it, what are some things looking back on it that you can point to and go, that was a contributor for why you said I was young and dumb. Is it just being, <laughs> being wild? Well, not as much being wild, just making dumb decisions. I, 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 got, I married my high school sweetheart, which was the stupidest thing I ever did, you know, because I was too young, you yeah. know, and I was on the road. Right. I mean, it, that didn't, you it's know, not a married that's life. It's not a married life, you know. And so all that in, in 81, when mm. all that was happening, and I think I ended up 17th or 18th and should have been eight or nine, you know right. what I mean? And, and, and over that part of my career, you know, that's one of the regrets. You asked me that earlier is I look back on it now. And if my dad hadn't passed away, it would have been a whole different sure. story. You know, well, and there's a there's got to be some regret just loving your dad that he wasn't able to see the first, you know, those well, types of things it, that really affect a kid at that age. Mm -hmm, you know, yeah. now we're older. We can look back on it, maybe oh, see yeah. it better. But man, at 19 part of the reason you want to go do something is so that your dad can see it. Yeah. You oh, know, yeah. his investment into you paying off in some uh, way is like a big yeah, deal to a yeah, kid. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it was over the next, you know, five, six years, you know, I mean, I won, I won, won a lot of big ropings, you know, uh, uh, I mean, a lot. <laughs> I won a lot of money at jackpots, you know, because they were two, three head jackpots, you know, and, and, and I was pretty consistent, you know. Well, people, people may not remember or may not know that we think of jackpots as a team roping thing, but back in the day, there were a lot of big calf roping jackpots. A lot of big There ones. was, I mean, places you can go actually make some income for the year type ropings. There was the Mobetta. Mm -hmm. There was uh, the, what's the one there at the North Texas Arena? Goodness sakes, I grew up right there. Wendy Ryan. Wendy Ryan. Um, there was the San Angelo. San Angelo. Mm -hmm. What was Ben? Bushy Head. Yeah. Clem McSpadden. Clem McSpadden. Um, <coughs> was when did Mike Johnson's come around? Did he start doing that he early? He was in, in the nineties. Okay. Yeah. So, but back back then, Bushy Head, San Angelo, the Wendy other ones. Ryan. Yeah. Uh, and then there was there was a lot lot of others. Like San Angelo also had a boys ranch open. It was a uh, 
kid, you know, they had a boys ranch there and they had a big kefir open and there, there was quite a few. I mean, you know, you, uh, Paducah, Texas used to have a big one. You know, you could go win 5,000 at it. That was a wow. lot of money then. Did you go to the 10 header at Sealy? Were you around when that was going on? The, they talk about the big 10 header they used to have down no, there in I South Texas. No, I never did go to the 10 header at Sealy. Uh-uh. Um, Joe Beaver was talking about all mm -hmm. the different jackpots and the jackpot amateur culture he grew up in. And, sure. Um, one of the things he talked about was match roping. Was that something that you were ever oh, into? I, my, my dad matched me at anybody. He would have matched me at Roy Cooper. Really? Yeah, when I was growing, when I was in high school, I probably roped 25, 30 matches. Who, are you, who was the first big win, do you remember? Uh, first big defeat, <laughs> let's start with that one, was, uh, and you probably never even heard of this guy, Travis Condren. He, was, he went to school at Durant. Okay. And when I matched him in Keller, Texas, he showed up with Roy with him, and he was riding Roy's horse. Okay. And he got off the left. Oh, mercy. I got off the left a lot, but he got yeah. off the left off old Boomer, the horse that Roy had in the 70s. And he beat me. That was the first big match I had, you know. And, I mean, there was people everywhere, and they were betting. I mean, it was, you know. And then probably the next big one I had, I roped James Zant mm -hmm. in Denton at the Cobble Arena. Who also got off the left. <laughs> well, he was left-handed. I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we, we matched roped for $20,000. And uh, Of each and, other's money or did you well, have backers? No, backers. Yeah. You know, they had $20,000 yeah, yeah, bet, right. you know. And uh, – and we roped, and I, I beat him, and that, that was probably the first big match roping. And then my when, it, when it's a $20,000 pot like that, is there anything that ever goes on behind the scenes that says, hey, we're going to rope for 20000 but instead of one guy winning twenty, one guy winning nothing, you make a deal where you split this or that? And There, there wasn't no guarantee money. That was just guys betting between. Oh, you I see. see what I'm saying? Yes, sir. I actually put up 2000 I see. Okay. Yeah. So I won two thousand. Gotcha. Day. I see. I see. But when we were in high school, my dad and and uh, Mr. Moore, Danny mm -hmm. and Gordy's dad, you know, they had the Copenhagen skull roping back right. in those days. Well, they did a deal they called the bubble gum roping, and it was nineteen and under, and you wrote four head matches. And then okay, yeah. 16 yeah, guys, yeah, yeah. so, you you know, you'd rope four-head matches. Shell, the Shells did something similar in Marble Falls for a while. For it's a while, a similar yeah. deal, yeah. Similar deal, yeah. And then you'd go on, you know, and then the last match for the championship was a six-head match. And we, we'd we have two or three of those a year, you know. And it, I think the fees were $250, and they'd take 16 guys. And I think if you won the whole deal, you win – 1500 2000 something like that. If you Man, for a kid in day, that day, yeah. it's, that's Crazy. real money. Yeah. So, so if you're out rodeoing, there, there was a life to come back to in Texas. Like if it all went south and you did have to come home, calf ropers had a place they could kick around and still get oh, by. Well, I mean, you could go, you could go to amateur in Texas. You could, you could go to five or six a week. How many calf ropers did they get at those back then? 100, 120. Some of the bigger ones get 150. Wow. You know, and a jackpot on Sunday afternoon, you'll have to get 100. Goodness sakes. You know, yeah. It was just unreal. I mean, what team roping is now, calf roping used sure. to be that way in Texas. Right. You know, and there was no team roping in Texas. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's what we've talked about this on this podcast before is like when you go to the older arenas in Texas now, the circuit rodeos in Texas now, mm -hmm. they're long and narrow. They weren't built thinking that team roping was going to be a part of it or ever even be there. Exactly. They were built to rope calves in. Rope um, caves and steer wrestle. That's right. I mean, that was that was the prevailing thing forever mm -hmm. there. Um, so the first year, 
doesn't go, I mean, it goes okay, but you don't get in. Did that just light more of a fire that says, okay, I can do it now? No, because I was broke. <laughs> and I got a divorce from my high school sweetheart. And uh, I turned, and in those days, you couldn't do both amateur and pro rodeo. Right. So I turned my card in in 82 and started amateur and, and built my, you know, built Did- my, stash up sold some horses da, da, yeah. da, da. and that's when i bought the mare i was talking about earlier in 83 okay and, and i got my card back in 83 and and then just went where, from there where did she come from uh bobby seals which mm-hmm. was there in justin texas yep. was a great horse trainer he trained her gordy and him bought her from from uh bobby mm-hmm. and uh gordy rode her in high school and stuff and then after we was out of school there i he wasn't rodeoing much and so i i bought her from him what was the what what not issues because it sounds like she was a good horse but what things did she come with that you needed to fix on that one she wanted to move what we were talking about you had to keep her you know dialed in you you had to do what i was talking about earlier a lot keep her keep her dialed in to not move it good everywhere else that was just unbelievable everywhere else but she if you didn't keep her dialed in you know on that part keep that on her mind yeah you know she'd she'd move some but and I didn't let a lot of guys ride her. She wasn't really a mount horse. She was just prone to go back to it. Yeah, she she would quick, you know, you know, just because she had done it so long. And you go back to that, something could have been hurting. You know, mm-hmm. those days you didn't view, you know. <laughs> yeah, the diagnostics just yeah, weren't worth it. Weren't, were. weren't what they were today. Um, so eighty three, set off, start it where? Yeah. Well, I I got my card back. I think like first of June, I got in with Jerry Jaton and Mitch Cops. And wait, wait, wait! In eighty three, you didn't buy your car till June. Yeah. Okay. I didn't yeah, I didn't go to the buildings that winter and I got my car back in June. I'd got my smoke and I'd got that mare and I could I could win on her, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh I I went up to uh Woodland Park in Canyon City, Colorado. Mm-hmm. And I'd entered those two and then I was gonna go to Salinas. And that's when I ran into Jerry and Mitch and they were headed the same way, so I got in with them and and uh took off and and matter of fact, that year at Salinas, I, I broke a rope to win it. Oh, mercy. In the short go. And uh, Dave Cannon rode up to me and throwed me a polygrass, and he said, son, this is the new wave of ropes. You won't break them. <laughs> and that's when I started using polygrasses. No kidding. Yeah. It was straight grass for that? Straight grass for that. Dave Cannon. I would, I would, <laughs> I would die to sit and listen to stories with Dave Cannon. Yeah, he did. Right there at Salinas. Throwed me a brand-new king. Said, here, this is a You're new rope. You're welcome. You're welcome, yeah. And feel-wise, did it instantly just feel that much? It didn't feel, I mean, it didn't feel like those old grasses no, for sir. a while. No, sir. No, for sure. You know, it took a little bit of getting used to. But well, and the care is different. The way you treat them is different. Yeah, yeah it is. You know, and Bill, Bill, Bill Parker taught me how to take care of a rope and how to prepare a rope. And Are we talking about Bill Parker that was from Montana? Montana? Big Sky, Montana. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Passed away about seven, eight years yeah. ago. Cancer got him. Shout out Bill and Jan Parker. He was, he was, he was probably biggest influence in my rodeo career. Did you feel like, and this is probably a personal question, so you can say pass if you want to, but did it feel like that when men would come along and have an influence in your life at that point in your life, considering that you'd lost your dad, did it feel like that people, because I, I've, I can only connect it to my own story. Sure, you know, my sure. dad and I are really close, but did it feel like that there were men that came in and for a season took on a paternal role knowing that your story, did, did you feel like it was more 
relational than just some other rodeo guy helping you out. Does that oh, make yeah. does that make sense? Yeah, makes a lot of sense. You know, there again, I mentioned Richard Stowers and Jim Fuller earlier. You know, they were huge influence in my horse training and what, what I do with horses. I still talk to both of them two or three times a month. Just mm. you know, but Bill Parker taught me how to rodeo. This is what it takes to rodeo. You know, you don't if back in those days when there was no rodeo limit, you you know, if you could go over here and go to two rodeos and you didn't have to rope against Roy, all them guys, why not let's go over here? Go win. Mm -hmm. Go where, where go put yourself in a situation to where it's easier for you to win. And and that's what he taught me. And I and I rodeoed a lot like that, you know, when even as we'll get into prime time here in a little while, but those days we'd we'd dump. Man. Yeah, we, you know we'd be at the good ones, but we're right. not gonna be off over but there. But you're not gonna cut those out. Yeah, right. No. It's been fun to watch the sort of meteoric rise of unbeatable feeds. Um, what that means is that when people start to feed it, they keep feeding it, and that's that's what I like to hear because those are the results that I've had with it. Also, um, it's probably just a personality defect that when I like something, I like when other people like it. Also. Uh, I said that Ren Richard was feeding a pound and a half to his steers. It's actually two and a half pounds. But point being, um, it's not only an amazing horse feed. It's not only the thing that has put gut health, hind gut health. Um, it's a super fiber and all those things. It's also just a tremendous steer feed also. So glad you guys are liking it. Glad you guys are feeding it. Check them out. Unbeatable feeds. We live in one of the hottest real estate markets in the Western industry here in Wickenburg. It can be confusing. I know that people from out of town go, okay, where does everything happen? What's in the middle of things? What's the dark side of the moon? Let me tell you, Erin Freeman, she's not only a friend, she is an absolute professional in the real estate industry. You can find her at Erin Freeman Properties on Facebook. You can check her out at erinfreeman.realtor on Instagram and TikTok. Here's what I like about Erin. She is from a team roping family. She understands that when you call and say you're looking for arena, you don't mean a riding pin. When you say I'm looking for something with stalls, it doesn't mean four panels chained together. She understands the industry, but she also understands the, the, the lifestyle. One of the things I'll say about Erin, like I said, not only is she great, I don't know if she'd want me saying this, she also kind of keeps her finger on the rental industry too. So if you're looking for a rental, maybe not officially, but I can tell you she knows where it's at. She's also brutally honest. She will tell you exactly what's happening in the industry. If you're too high, if you're too low, if what you're looking for is achievable, if she has in her inventory what you're looking for, you will get an honest assessment from somebody who not only understands what you're looking for, but where to find it. Check her out, Aaron Freeman. Right. Be off over but there. you're not going to cut those out. Yeah. Right. No. Huh? But then now with the rodeo count, you know, it's, it's hard, you know. So break a rope at Salinas. Break a rope at Salinas. That was in 83. And then, you know, we just kept, I just kept rodeoing and I won good on that mare. And then I, I sold that mare to Joe Lucas. Yeah. Canada. Oh yeah. And, uh, smoking Joe. And then I got a, I got a black horse there in 80. I think it was maybe five that came from uh, Doug Clark, mm -hmm. and uh, he, he, he was, and he had a vibe. Uh, you had to, when you, <laughs> when you came into the arena, you had to ride right up beside the box, and when it came your turn, you had to just walk him straight in, turn him around and go. If you come, got out here and got to messing around, he wouldn't go in the box. So you had to- You just had get, to trick him. Had to trick him. If you put him right there by that fence and just walk him in the box, he'd score. To this day, some of the hardest stopping horse videos I've ever seen were with Doug Clark. Oh, yeah. That guy had some horses that would just, you think they're stopped and they drop another foot. Yeah. That guy, for, for people who wouldn't know, that guy 
Oh, yeah. Had some real ones. Yes, real, sir. real ones. Yes, sir. He did, you know. And I, I had that horse there in, in 85 and 6, 7, there along their way. And then I sold him. What was the first? What was the first year you made the finals? Me, yeah. I never made them. You didn't go. No, I was seven. I was seventeenth that one year, and I was eighteenth one year. I was in the top twenty-five probably ten times. I'm editing that nonsense out. I, I, I <laughs> didn't know. I did no, not I know did. that. I had now. I had. 12 or 13 different horses there. Yeah, no, no, I, 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 I yeah, I'm, that's, that's what I'm familiar with. But remember, I came along, like, I was 97, I was a freshman in high school, and that's where, like, my global, my world awareness, like, I was a fan of what I saw around there. So by then, you were already hauling horses, so. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, by 97, I was starting to, I was starting to slow down. We're not skipping to that yet. Yeah, okay. So Black Horse Road, Doug Clark, 85, and that's, 87, that's you know, where you started letting guys on was with him? Well, a little bit. Like Dan rode that horse at the finals. He rode the mare in 83, and then I think it was 87 when he rode the Black Horse there. And and uh, Did did they have a good finals in 83 on the mare? Uh, he won some. I mean, the finals at those days, you didn't – you know, if you win 10,000, that was a pretty right. good finals. Well, I was just meant from your financial yeah. standpoint. Like, well, I mean, win 10,000, that's 2,500. So, yeah. I mean, you know, you got to look at it that way. But, you know, and then come along about 90, I got a, I bought a horse. I had a real, well, I had two horses. Uh, I had a little horse called Speedy that uh, Ray Raven win the world on in 87. Yes, sir. Okay. That horse came from you. No, he didn't come from me. He came You're saying? From, I, I bought him after the fact. All right, I see, yeah, I see. Yeah, he, he was, matter of fact, he was at a guy's house, and uh, they were they was trying to horse show him, and he really wasn't a horse show horse. Mm -hmm. And uh, I bought him, and... Uh, uh, Lana Mango rode him all that year and made the finals on him. And I had another horse at was the that, same time. Was that a Bay Street Face horse? No, he was Sorrel Street Faced. Okay. Yeah. And uh, had two horses there in 90, 91, long in there. They rode him at the finals. And who was. And uh, Lanham rode him in, in 91. Okay. I can't remember who rode him in 90. But anyway, Lanham rode him in 91 because that was the year I met Beth at the finals that's the reason i remember that and uh and then kind of 92 93 there I, I i worked for roy he built that place in childress yes sir yeah i took care of all his horses and you know him and whatever right. else right there and then did that real quick i want to know when you went to work for roy because you've always been working for yourself it's always been your business your mm -hmm. expenses mm -hmm. your income right mm -hmm. did it feel did it feel good to be able to ride horses on someone else's expense? Like you get to have these horses and fix them and work sure. on them, but it wasn't like you're having to dig the cash up on the front end or did it feel like you were just helping everybody else make money and you were just getting a paycheck? Uh, well, you know, I mean, I, I was getting a paycheck, but you know, I mean, as far as roll and I, I was still rodeoing, I was amateur and, you know, and, and stuff. So it was more or less just how, you know, you had a damn sure was going to get a check every two weeks. And mm -hmm. that was the main thing. Yeah. You know, and, right. And of course, I lived there at Roy's and took care of the place and everything, and helped raise them two youngest two, you mm -hmm. know, Tuff and Cliff. You know, I mean, they, and my daughter's the same age as them, and I mean, I can tell stories about them three. Uh, oh yeah. You know, growing up when they, it was just like watching a tornado happen. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But anyway, but it, it was. Uh, Spe speaking of tornadoes, were you there when the barn went down yeah. at Roy's? You were there. You talk about that? <laughs> well, you know, it was it was uh, whew, it was pretty horrific. You know, I mean, it it blew that building. I mean, it tore that building 
up. I mean, it didn't really tear anything else up, but it tore that building Just up. Just got that got a, And uh, got, I don't think it killed any horses. We had to cut a few out. You know, no that, that were way. That were kind of hung in some pipe and stuff. You know, No kidding. But, yeah, it was pretty crazy. But Goodness sakes. I was there, and then in, in 93, I bought a horse from Roy, and uh, and I, I made a deal with Ricky Canton for, mm-hmm. for the 94 season. And Brown horse one-eye? No, no, okay. no. This was a little Sorrel Street-faced horse that, that Roy had. I can't remember what we called him. But anyway, he was a good horse. Ricky rode him something Roy had him and liked him. So I, I, I made a deal with Ricky. I, I told him I'd buy the horse. I'll go. You enter with me, and you pay me 25%. I'll do all the enter, and I'll take care of all the business and everything. And So that was our journey. We were going to take off in 94, and uh, I was headed to San Antonio and, uh, from home, and it was real icy, and I, and I got in a wreck. And, uh, and it, it didn't hurt that horse bad, but it, it hurt him. I had to send him home, you know. I mean, he needed two or three weeks off, you know. And so I hitched a ride on down to San Antonio, and hitched a ride from San Antonio to Jackson. And at Jackson is where I bought old primetime in 94 off Joe. I'd, I'd sold him to Joe in 92. So real quick, I want to go back to his Genesis story because of all the horses you had that were awesome, that's the one that got the most publicity, the most press, had the most people riding him, things like that. So I want to go back. Do you remember the first time you, that – you ever saw that horse, whether it's yours or not. Do you mm-hmm. remember the first time you ever saw that horse? Yeah. He came from just right like five miles from me. Uh, the uh, Danny and Billy Ray was Danny Ray's dad. Billy Ray Redfern was probably one of the greatest amateur calf ropers in the 60s and 70s there was. And uh, so I, I'd seen him train him. I'd seen him ride him. Dave Brock rode him a little bit in 89 mm-hmm. at, at some of the winter rodeos, you know. And uh, – he, you know, yeah, I'd seen him. You know, I, I knew, you know. What What do you remember about him that just, stood out? Just main thing, how much he could run. Yeah. Run and stop. I mean, he could do that. There was, there's, I've never owned a horse that could run that fast and stop that hard, you know. And the, it two, the two, the two don't tend to always run in the same vein. No. Usually if it's a runner, it's like work to get them to stop. Or if they're really a big stopper. It's hard to get them to run. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So for the combo is, yeah. is a rare thing. And, uh, and well, we'll back up to 92. Uh, Danny, uh, he, he, good friend of mine, we grew up together and stuff. He, we were talking one day, and I said, man, we're, we're they called him Red. And mm-hmm. we'll get to the name of Prime okay. Time here in a minute. But I said, man, we're, what are you doing with that horse? And he said, I just turned out to pasture. Why? Said, well, Why? Because for him to work, you had to. You do something with him every day. They just got he sick was, of messing with it. Just got tired. Danny, Danny got tired of messing with him because his dad had another good horse, so he could just ride that one if he wanted to go to the rodeos. Sure. He was kicked out in the pasture, and, and so anyway, they decided we wanted to sell him. You know, we, well, let's sell him. So I went down and got him, and they hadn't pulled the shoes off of him. His toes were probably turned up like an elf, four to five inches. Goodness sakes. And so I, I got him, got him home. How was he? How was he moving? I mean, well, you think he still he... walk around, but I mean, he wasn't moving very good. Yeah. I mean, I was, you know. Yeah. But anyway, got him home. Got his finally got him shod. Got everything done. I had him probably three weeks just getting him because he was fat, out mm-hmm. of shape, and I probably had him three weeks. And and I called Joe and I said, Joe, you better come try this horse. I said because the next person in line will be Chris Liber. 
Because mm-hmm. I'd already told Joe each time Liberate was going to come train. Well, in the meantime, Liberate come tried him before Joe got there. Liberate would have bought him right then. I said, I can't do that, Liberate. Yeah, I, I said, Joe, I done, you know, Joe's got to look at him. He said, if he don't buy him, I'll take him. What and, was that? Uh, Describe that horse because... Uh, again, that's the one. That's the one that stands he was, out. He was he uh, was he was pretty big for a calf horse. Uh, he was probably fifteen two. He probably weighed thirteen and a half, fourteen hundred. Mm-hmm. And uh, but like I said, I mean, I've he was never, pretty for as big as he was. He carried it yeah. well. Oh, uh, well yeah. He wasn't a he wasn't like a draft horse looking no, no, horse. No, 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 no. He was a well put together quarter horse. You know, short neck. You know, everything you want in a horse. Right. And, uh, and so anyway, I, I Joe came and <laughs> it's a pretty funny story. Joe run about five calves on him, and I mean just five of the most unbelievable runs you've ever seen. And so he rides back over there, and Jenna walks. Jenna was with him. She walked up the fence, and she goes, "Joe, what are you? What are you waiting on? Write him a check." <laughs> you know, so they loaded him right there that day, and Joe went to go around that night at Little Rock on him, and came home and. He had tied him. He had a little side by side trailer. We we just laughed about this story the other night, uh, and he had tied him, and he forgot about it, and he unloaded him. And the only thing that saved him from breaking both back legs off is at Joe's house. It's real that it's a uh, powder sand, mm-hmm. and so when he went to digging, he just dug down, and his legs. Okay, did real get quick cut. for people listening, if a horse is tied up in a side by side trailer and they go to back out, their head's still tied in the trailer, and their back feet, feet hit the go ground. Out. They now they're trying to set back. When they set back, that drives those back feet up underneath the trailer, exactly. and that's where you cripple one. And he, he, he I mean, he, he didn't cripple him, but he didn't. We, he him couldn't ride him for shit, probably a month until oh, we got man. this hide back growed back on his legs and stuff, you know. But Joe, Joe won quite a bit on him, you know. And, and then, of course, I've got the saddle in '92 in my restaurant. That was the first saddle. He won the world that year on him. But he took him in October. And he had had him six weeks, and so he called me. He said, "Hey, I'm gonna pay you. Come go with me to the finals. Take care of that horse." So I go to his house, and beautiful sunny day. I'll never forget it. And he had him all tied up out there, and had a new saddle on him. Boy, he, you know. And uh, anyway, I got on him and loped him around, you know. And he was fine, you know. And I run two or three breakaway on him. He was all right. Well, it got cold that night, raining, cold. So the next day, we go up to the building, go to rope. <laughs> and there was a bunch of people there, you know, <laughs> Joe's roping at the building. And uh, so I get on him. I mean, you know, Joe wasn't even going to ride him. He, he ride him at the finals. Yeah, he already had the guy that you know, knew, you know knew what, what to do. So anyway, so I lope him around there a minute, and, and it was kind of one of those old-school deals with the announcer stand over the top sure, of yeah. the, you know, the box. And I rode him in there, and I could tell he was real tight. I, I I knew him, you know. And yeah. So anyway, I run the first calf, and you know he run out there and stopped, and I turned, rode back in the box, and I was going to score one, and I turned him around, and he just froze. I mean, I'm talking about just he locked all the way up. And, and I thought this son of a bitch is fixing to fixing to rear up, you know, whatever, and and sure enough, he rears up, just walks out of the box. So I crack it across <laughs> his head two or three times. And, <laughs> Ride him back in there, and Joe's standing there with big eyes, and he goes, Buff, what's going on? He's like, what'd you do? <laughs> and I looked at him, and I said, Joe, I should be whipping you instead of this horse because this is your fault. I said, you ain't been riding him. You've been feeding him grain. You, you know, you've done everything that you wasn't supposed to do. Yeah, this was a recipe for how yeah, to get that result. Yeah. And so 
from that point on, I pre we left day after that was right before Thanksgiving, and me and I don't know if you remember him, Brady Hellums Junior mm-hmm. is what we called him, but me and Junior loaded up and went to Alabama to a five header, came back through and got Joe and Jenna and drove all the way to Vegas. And for the next 14 days, or starting in, and for the next 14 days, about three weeks, he was saddled every day. Every yeah. morning at 8 o'clock. You know, I mean, all day long. Every Getting day. all that back out of him. Yeah. And Joe won the world on him that year in 92. And then 93, I didn't go much. I was I was in and out, kind of rodeo him. But Joe rode him some, didn't get, didn't get, and the reason why was he couldn't, he wouldn't, Joe wouldn't keep him tired enough. Well, I mean, real, real quick, I, I, I want to ask if this is right. If a horse requires a tremendous amount of work and time and someone does not have a schedule that would lend itself to that, sometimes people will sell really good horses just because they don't fit into their personal schedule. Is that right? Exactly. And so is that what you're saying about primetime is that primetime would have been fine at Joe's if – he would have the work would have been able to be put in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, But Joe's schedule and the way, you know, you're nothing, nothing personal, nothing bad. Just sometimes they don't line up. But, uh, anyway, so, and then I told us kind of when I bought him there, uh, from Joe at Jackson, I bought him on a Wednesday morning. I can still remember like as yesterday. And, and, uh, uh, so I bought him there, and I took him over. I had did my you, saddle. Did you get to buy him back for less than you sold him, or did you have to pay more than what you sold him for? I had, I got. Let's see, how did we do it? He paid seventeen five for him. Okay. Okay. And I made twenty five hundred. I got okay. fifteen thousand. And when I bought him back, I got I bought him back for fifteen thousand. But he he rode him. Now he had paid me some. If he won a sure. bunch, he paid. But he had a free seat on him. Yeah. You know. But anyway. But uh, that's that's crazy that a horse a guy won the world on would only be would only bring fifteen thousand next year. That gives you to your point. That gives you some idea of where the horse market was then versus yes, now. Sir. It was anyway. So I bought him that morning, and uh, and of course you know he wouldn't stay on the other rope. That was his biggest deal. And so I had my saddle and my rope can and stuff because that was in that rack going all the way back. And so I took him over and I saddled him, and uh, I went and found me a pallet. Tied a rope to it, and all day long, I made him drag that pallet to me. And Ricky was flying in. Shea Good was rodeoing with me, too. Sure. He was coming with Ricky. and Yeah, for people who don't and, know, Shea Good wasn't always a steer tripper. No, he was rope kids real good. So they got there, and so I kind of told Ricky what what had I'd done, you know. And Ricky goes, man, I don't I don't like that horse. I've tried to ride him. I said, look, I said, you ain't never rode that son when I owned him. Right. Okay, and that's right. what I told Ricky. I said, right. you, you give me a chance. I said, if he don't work, then that's fine. So that night in the slack, Shay and Ricky both were up, and they went first and second. And, I mean, he was a machine. I mean, I'm talking about you. you it might have been the best he ever worked in his life was that night. And uh, so I, then I got in the rig with Joe because I didn't have no rig. Mm-hmm. Went to Kissimmee. So they're winning first and second at Jackson, the second round. I go to Kissimmee. They pay eight holes. They win five on him there. I get in the rig with some bulldoggers, hitch me a ride to Houston, and Marty Wells meets me there. And I get in the rig with Marty Wells, and we go to Tucson. The only year Tucson's ever been a one-hitter. Okay. It was in 1994. Okay. And it paid ten monies, and they win seven out of ten holes on him right there. So real quick. (laughs) 
real quick. He didn't work for Joe as a one-man horse with, with just typical riding exercise. He needed more work. He needed to stay tired. You buy him as a guy who's building a business and mounting people out. That horse needed the work. Mm-hmm. The work he was getting is paying your bills, match made in heaven. Oh, yeah. It was. I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, 94, they went $256,000 only. And uh, in June, no, that was in 95. But in 94, you know, uh, Ricky rode him. Uh, uh, Marty Wells started riding him some. And, of course, in, you know, I mean, I mounted just, you know, pretty much anybody. You know, if they – but out of respect to the Cowboys, if they didn't have a good calf, they wouldn't come ask me. Yeah. You know, because right. they, they knew I had so many runs. Yeah. You know, and that – Well, in the long term, the more that horse works, the longer that horse works, the better they have – the better chance they have of getting on him when they do have exactly, that calf. Exactly, you know. And, and so, you know, 94- By now, you've heard me brag up and down about the Ranch Hands Solar Lights. Um, I've said they, they, you've heard this. They, they are the reason I was able to keep up and going through the summer. Uh, we went fully to Graveyard, and they were, they were a lifesaver for us. Um, hurry and get them ordered. If you're thinking you might get them, you know, you might someday buy some, get them ordered right now. There's a little bit of a waiting list. They will get to you, but order them now to get on the list. I'm telling you. Pro Series lights have been a complete game changer. I have my other lights, the smaller ones that I had before over my stalls, keeping hair off my horses. Check them out, Ranch Hand Solar Lighting. They're on all the social medias. Um, it, I, I mean, I, I, what do I say? I can't brag on them enough. I, I, I recommend them, but then, you know, because they're my friends, because I love them, it starts to sound like a sales pitch. So to avoid that, I'll just tell you, check them out, Ranch Hand Solar Lighting. If you have not yet checked out LoneStar.tv, uh, I would argue that it is the greatest online church in the U.S. I'm probably a little partial. Uncle Randy and Aunt Darla have done a great job. It is one of the premium churches offered online, and it is the number one cowboy church offered online. So with everybody traveling, the way the schedules go, and everybody being busy, uh, it's a place that's really prioritized making that experience as intimate and personal as possible. So you guys check them out at LoneStar.tv. There are buildings going up in Arizona right now, brought to you by Roper Buildings. You guys can check them out at roperbuildings.com. Also, one of the things I've said, and I really would encourage you to do, is go check out their social media. Um, you think Pole Barn, and instantly I've said it before, you feel like it's Grandpa's hay shed. It is so much more. It's got such a residential feel. It can be customized. It's done by professionals, people that have made a, a tremendous impact in the industry for a long time. You're getting to tap in not only to their expertise and experience, but some of the best quality workmanship you'll find. And, and so, you know, 94, he was calf horse of the year. And, and uh, so 95, we cracked out and it was Marty Wells, myself, Ricky, and Jim Bob Mays. And, and we went all year together and, and we win um, another 240,000 on him that year. And, and that year, it was some pretty good stories at Clovis, California that spring, or that out there, there was one calf that was on the herd. He was on it at Oakdale, Red Bluff, Clovis, number 49. Still remember his number. <laughs> what do he look like? Little red brindle, mm-hmm. you know. If you drawed that calf, you won first. I mean, there was no way around it. And so we're, we're at Clovis, and they'd had the first run. And so the second run, I was kind of walking up towards the arena with old prime time, and here comes Speedy Williams walking towards me with a pig and string around his <laughs> neck and a rope. He goes, Buff, 
I got 49. I said, you're on. Get on. <laughs> Eight, nine, win the gold round. No kidding. Yes, sir. Yeah. That, that was oh, pretty, is there pretty, a video of that, of Speed Williams riding primetime? That would be a museum. I don't, you know, I don't know if anybody took one. You know, back in those days, you didn't have phones. Yeah, you know? right. Yeah, it was, it would, yeah, it would, you're right. What a piece of history. Great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he run one calf on him and went first. Yeah. I used to let, Cleo used to ride him quite a bit. Cleo was such a good horseman, and, and that somebody could get to leaning in the box, and, and, of course, you know, I could spur on him or, or I could get him right for those guys, but. Cleo was one of the only ones that I'd let train on him. For his bit. sake, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for the horse. Just yeah. helping the horse. He'd ride him in there. He'd you know, wear spurs where he could job that somewhat, make him stand up right. that box. And so Cleo rode him quite a bit, you know. And But so we rolled on there in 95, and, and we took off for the summer. And it was a summer that I don't know if anybody, maybe Roy and Joe might have got to more rodeos by themselves. But us four together – we, we went to, in July, starting at Greeley, June 28th to July 28th, we ran 94 calves on him and went $67,000. No kidding. In one month. Yeah. So there was guys that were riding him all the time or regularly, mm -hmm. and then there was guys that just on a, like, if they flew in, they would get on him when sure, they had to sure, and things like sure, that. Sure. Did you get a count of how many guys – rode that horse throughout the year did you ever sit down and figure out the number of guys you know uh, yeah, it's funny you bring that up they they put him in the texas rodeo cowboy hall of fame last spring and uh beth kept records all those years and when we went to get the story together to, to do it we don't know where those are we can't really? find them she don't know if she stuck them in you know stuck them in something they're somewhere but who knows where we we couldn't find them and, and we may one of these days when we move out of that house we may find sure. them but but yeah she knew because she kept count of the money for sure well yeah because that's yeah, yeah, that's, who wrote him, yeah. Who yeah. Him, who, that's accounts receivable right there yeah, in that business it was it was and and you know i, I i'd call home and show mondays and you know of course it wasn't very easy in those days but you know she she knew what they won and she'd I'd write down their name and uh, and what they owed me on a sticky pad. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, next time I was at a slack and everybody there, I'd write up by you and say, hey, I need a check. You Did know? you ever have people that had trouble getting paid? No. They always paid me. Nobody. They, they didn't want to deal with Beth. <laughs> you know, I mean, be honest. You well, know? nobody wants to short a guy and then not be able to get on that horse well, again. Well, true. That was a lot of it, too. I mean, they, I because mean, they rode him a lot. I mean, you know. Uh, Marty Becker, I mean, he, he used to, every time he got on him, he won. I, yeah. I don't know that he ever rode him, he didn't win a check, you know. And, and he didn't ride him that much because he had his own horse, but he, you know, when he rode him, he won. You People know? don't realize that the arena record was Marty Becker's in 97. It, it, the round that they tied all in calves so fast, mm -hmm. Marty had him strung faster than any of those guys had him in that mm -hmm. calf kick. Mm -hmm. But it was, I mean, it was a sure. rap and a hooey away from Marty Becker being the record holder record for a holder. long time. And yeah. I don't know how fast he could have been. I, I mean, know. it was one of those runs that's like, <laughs> do you remember? Yes, like, sir. it was setting up so fast. And it's funny because I think there's a lot of people that wouldn't remember him as a calf roper. They think of him as a team roper or a coach and stuff like that. But that guy was very, oh, very real. He was very, he was as talented as any calf roper ever swung a rope. I mean, he was, you know, he was good. You know, and... So anyway, we kind of rolled on there through '95, and and you know, I mean, like I said, went another two hundred forty-eight thousand or whatever, you know, on him, and and then in '96, I I, I kind of told myself, I said, all right, won't, won't you go at it for yourself? You know, you're, you know, thirty-five years old, 
you got one, you know, you're still good. And uh, so I had a pretty good winter and, and uh, was clicking along there. I was probably, I don't know, 20th, 21st in the world, about Reno time. And the week before Reno, I was walking across the barn at Larry Branko's. I can remember like it was yesterday. And, and I stepped wrong and popped something in this knee. And it just blowed up. So I called Dr. Freeman and he sent me to Sacramento to a doctor and they drained fluid off of it and all this stuff and injected it and did all that. But that was it. I mean, that, that was literally, that that was the point to where, you know, I, I, could, I wasn't as good as I used to yeah. be because of that knee. Right. I'd pop something in there and, you know, and, and, and I'd already had it, I'd already had some cartilage taken out of it. I'd had a couple surgeries on it, but something popped and, all summer, I had to battle it, and I just, you know, I couldn't do it. I mean, hell, I was 35 years old. Well, I need to be add, at my best. I you gotta, add pain to it. it it's not as fun. Yeah. Well, it's, not, it's, not, it's not the joy that it was no. when you're healthy. And, and so then after that, you know, I mean, some guys rode him that year. I mean, I did, I'd let the good guys ride him that rode him all the time. And then 97 kind of went some, and I just kind of started slowing down. And then Beth and I bought that place where we live now in 98. And then that's when the team roping kind of started. And Beth even headed on him some. And it was a funny story she loves to tell. We were at Guthrie. She was heading on him. And she rode him in the head box and started turning around. He did that same thing. <laughs> he like, got moved. Babe, we're not riding him enough. <laughs> and, I, I saw, and I was standing like on the outside of the box. And I kind of hollered at him, but he, he wasn't. He's, you know, like. He'd already made up his mind. Yeah, he wasn't. So I walk around. And as I'm coming around to go in the box to help her get him in the corner, there was a shovel. And I just picked it up, and I walked in the box, and as soon as he saw me with that show, he backed up there and never moved. <laughs> it, it was hilarious. I mean, everybody at the team, they were laughing. I mean, they could not believe that. But she headed on him there for a while, and, you know, and, and then uh, I kind of retired him, you know, full-time. And uh, some people, I'd let some people in Utah take him. He had a, had a pull suspensory. Yeah. And, I, and their little girl just loved him, so I sent him out there. They said, yeah, y'all can just retire him out there. And. About two months later, their dad called, and he goes, J.D., I'm sending this sunbuck back. I said, what's wrong? He said, he jerked my little girl plumb out of the alley of the barn. And what happened was she come walking up on there onto the cement, and if he was hurt, he was yeah. a pet. If he wasn't hurt, he right. was a, right. I don't want to say it on live right. coverage, but he, he was an asshole. Yeah, and uh, she started up on that cement, and he sat back, and she didn't let go of the. And she didn't. She wasn't about four years old, and she didn't let go of the lead rope. And just, and just water her. skied her clear oh, out of the barn. Just shot her out of there, and and they none of them could get him in the barn. They tried, and so he sent him back. You're like was, son of a gun. He's healthy. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I knew probably that's what it was. So anyway, they sent him back, and uh, I was rodeoing a little bit there. I had some. I had a real good. And it's gonna really be funny, but I had a real good bulldogging horse that I come across, and I mean, he he brought me back out for a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, he was a good one. And I was I had a calf horse that, that was one of those we talked about earlier. He was unbelievable at home, but you got to the rodeo and he was a donkey. So I called Beth and I said, hey, go to riding on primetime, get him in shape. I said, I'm gonna come home, it's in the fall. I said, I got Texarkana, Waco. I said, I, I'll just take him and ride him at him. So anyway, she started riding, I get home, and. We got him legged up there pretty good, and I, one day I roped on him, and, and, and when the first calf I run, I thought, man, something ain't right. You know, he just didn't, didn't feel right. Yeah, you well, and you had him long enough. You know, I mean, I'd run, to, you know yeah. I mean, I knew, you know. So anyway, we kept riding him there, and so we'd, I'd probably run 
five or six breakaway on him. And uh, the day before this, this accident happened, he felt like normal. I mean, he was running, dragging his butt. And I thought, well, good, now he's back. Yeah. You know? So the next day, we were team roping, get done team roping. And uh, I said, hey, I'm, I said, just leave the steers in. Don't worry about the calves. I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to score a couple and run one or two breakaway on no prime time. I'll just break away those steers. First thing I run, I mean, he felt pretty good. And I rode back in there, and, and uh, I thought, you know what, I'm going to let one out and just bust his butt there and make him, you know, do it. And when I left there and I busted his butt, his, his leg went, legs went out behind him and snapped his uh, oh, left hind leg no. right there. He had EPM, and I didn't know it. No yeah, kidding. I had no idea he had it, or I wouldn't even have been on him. No, absolutely, you know? obviously, yeah. <laughs> yeah, at that point, I mean, he hadn't earned Yeah, yeah, and uh, so anyway, he broke his leg right there in my arena, and so I get off of him out there, and we get him unsaddled, and, and he's oh, probably not quite halfway across my arena, and, my wife's there and people are there and they're all and so I run to the phone didn't have cell phones I run to the phone to call the vet you know so I get a hold of the vet and just about the time I'm fixing to hang up I hear everybody just screaming out in the arena and so I was in the attack room so I take off running and here he comes towards me he got away from him well he got up they couldn't he got up because oh, I wouldn't yeah he's coming towards me and this ain't no kidding he's about 20 well he's from here to there to the hey, door yeah and uh i hollered at him and as soon as he heard my voice he laid right back down oh my god just like i mean just like you told him to lay down yeah he just laid back down and uh so anyway we stayed there with him and the vet came we put a put a splint on it i mean he built a splint i mean we had him all you know and about three o'clock that happened about nine o'clock at night eight thirty at night but about three o'clock in the morning me and another buddy of mine were sitting there with a cold beer in our hand, and he raised up, and he looked at that leg, laid back down. And we had tried to get him up once in that period, and he, could, he, didn't, want, he didn't want up. But he, he laid his head back down, he raised it up again, he looked at that brace, laid his head back down. I went straight to the phone. I said, he don't want up. You know, no. and I didn't want him up. No, I mean, no, at that up. point, let it go. He's buried standing up in my arena right beside my roping box, headed down the arena. Wow. We built a when we built it, we built a belly deal and dug out for his feet and we set him down in there and Oh uh, my gosh. I pulled the shoes off of him, put hoof flex on him, brushed his mane and tail out with Shoshi. Cried the whole time? No. No, not really. I mean my daughters did. You heartless ale. No. Well well I did flip. I'm kidding. When we got him down in there and got him situated, I did flip a Cooter's oh, light wow. top yeah. on top of him oh, to tell him I loved him yeah. because he was he made everything I, I had, yeah. you know. Beth and I, I mean, most people won't ever get that with a horse, you know. To it was just it. he he was so great, and for that to happen to him, you know, I, I mean, it was just unbelievable, you yeah. know. And so, you know, that that was it, and that was in '99, I think, is when that happened, mm -hmm. you know. And by then, I, I was I was mainly I was starting to, you know. That was pretty much end of me rodeoing, you know, and because '99, 2000, I started. That's when I started riding team roping horses. Did you buy the black Arrayus that I was talking about from yeah, Jerry? Well, okay, so that was. That and here's was, why. Here's why I'm asking. I'm not saying that was the best horse you ever owned. I'm not saying that. I just remember, like, Google-eyed loving. Oh, loving was, that horse when I was in high school. I, and so I, I don't him, know the story. As we're saying this, because, see, I bought him 
in gosh dang i already had him let's back up a minute i got a rejas in 96 jerry jaton sold him to marty wells okay where did that horse come from before jerry, jerry trained him okay right there all them black horses jaton had he was one of them he okay. was by a horse called Cowboy Marine. I don't know off the wall. But anyway, Marty bought that horse, and Marty, he couldn't, he, he w could not even get him close to a calf at a rodeo. Too tight. Well, just wouldn't run. Just uh, nothing. And so we swapped around, did whatever. But I, I got him, and Cliff called, Cliff Williamson called me, and, and he said, I want to ride old black at the, at the winter rodeos. And that would have that been in 97. Yeah. Okay. Right. So I had him prime time at the same time for a little bit there, okay. but, but prime time was kind of on the way out. But anyway, so we rode him that winter, and and it, I'll never forget because semi Florida, he screwed me so bad. I mean, he ducked, and I mean, just I had the best calf on him, and just he screwed me, and I'm you know of course you know what I did to him. But anyway, so we leave there. And I, I come home, and I, I was pretty well done after the buildings. I told Beth, I said, man, I'm, I'm just I'm done. You know, I'm 38, 39 years old. I've had enough, you know. And this knee was hurting, you know, and stuff. So came home and, and uh, really didn't do much with him there for probably six, four or five months. A kid called me and wanted to ride him, Casey Buto. He took him for, I don't know, about a month or so, but he couldn't ride. You know, and so I got him back. Was that me. when you say people couldn't ride him? Was it that he was kind of just he not? He wouldn't run. Was he too gentle? No, he wouldn't run at the rodeos. Just and, and I'll get to that in a minute. Okay, okay. all right. So anyway, and then uh, I will have to jump back to one thing on the injections. But anyway, so I got him back, and and uh, he, you know, by then we'd started injecting hocks. Okay, and I'm going to jump go back just a minute about the very first time I ever injected a hock was on prime time okay and that was in in 1994 when they went he went five times in the short go at salinas and and uh they i i had to fly to cheyenne for the next morning but they brought him to me and todd arthur was up i'll never forget it was up tuesday morning at cheyenne and i took him down there and when he nodded, he just reared up and walked out of the box. I mean, he'd never done, never, ever done something like that. I mean, he wasn't he fresh. Oh, no, he'd just come yeah. from Salinas yeah, and right. run five in yeah. the short go, you know, yeah. And so anyway, that afternoon, I was going to get him out to go up and just ride him up to watch the rodeo. And I was leading him to, the, to my truck on that pavement, and he was click, 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 click. You know, something wasn't right. So I was looking out the window, and he's soaring his right hind leg. Luckily, a, a friend of mine, vet from home, Nick Burnham, uh, he was there, and I went and found him. And he said, we need to inject his hock. And, I mean, I looked at him like, do what? What did you say? Of course, by the end, I'd had a few injections myself, you know. And uh, he said, yeah, we need, we need to inject that hock, you know. And I said, Burnham, if you cripple this horse, I said, I'll kill you. <laughs> I, he said, I'm not going to cripple him. So we went back to a wash rack back there and, he injected him. He said, can you leave him off a few days, you know? And I said, yeah, I can leave him off all week. So I found Jatan, and I took a Rejas with me to the Northwest okay. and rode him and turned primetime out there in, in Oregon for 
about a week. Who's place in Oregon? Uh, I can't, three girls live there is all I remember. I got you. I, I'd have to get Jatan to get their names. But anyway, <laughs> uh, left him there and rode to Ray Haas all week up there and then went back by and got him, and he was like a machine. But then after that, when he, I could tell when he needed an injection sure. because he wouldn't finish his stop. I knew right. That. So I'd right. go get him injected. You know, and it was about every. He would tell months. you. He would tell, tell you when it's time. Yeah. So you get a Rayos. Then I, so then I get a Rayos, and like I said, he what he couldn't get him to run at the rodeo, so we're injecting him because he's sore. You know, go along there, go along there. Then I put him on Adequan. Okay. Well, then Cody O calls me. He goes, Buff, what are you gonna do with old Black? Hey, I need something to ride. I said, Come get the son bitch. I said, He's standing out here in the pasture. I said, I mean, he's in shape, but you know. And I, so I went and got him injected. Whiplash come got him. No, take that back. I had to ride him at the Rhine roping. Yep. And I, I rode him at the Rhine roping, went a go around on him there, got a big picture on the wall in my restaurant of that run right there because it's pretty pretty good. But, uh, and uh, so Cody took off with him in May, end of May. He went $100,000 on him between then and the end of the season. And this is 98. 98. Right? Yep. 98. Then he took him to the finals. Went another hundred thousand on him. Wins there. the first three rounds on him. Yeah, first four. Or split ties, split yes. two. Yeah. Split two and win two. Yeah. 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 And uh, so he rode him at the finals. Brought him back home. I kept him all winter. Didn't I? Don't even. I think Raina might have rode. Tony Raina might have rode him some at the buildings that winter or whatever. But there again, they couldn't ride. Nobody could ride. Why did Cody get off of him after the finals? I don't want to say it on live TV, but anyway. Uh, so anyway, I still got him. Well, here long, it's about late spring. Cody calls me and he goes, hey, Boff. He said, where's old Ray Haas at? And I say, he's still standing out there in that same trap he was last year. He goes, I'm going to send whiplash after him. Same thing. He went 100000 on him in three months, went 100000 on him at the finals, and that year he bought him. Yeah. From me. Well, at that point, guys probably tired then, of paying well, for him. Well, yeah, and I kept telling him the year before to buy him. It'd be cheaper on him. Right. But, you know, right. Anyway, so Cody bought him. and then, Do you do you have any hang-ups talking about what horses sell for? Is that uh-uh. – what, what I, I saw – he sold for 25. 25000 Yeah. And that was a lot of money. Sure. I mean, yeah. yeah. It just – it's crazy. Yeah. I, yeah. And then, you know – he, I don't know, I think he wrote him another year, and then the second year, Cody, hey, he, he collect one night, and he, and he died. Just trying to get him to the vet, and he, he died. And Cody buried him at that place he had there, and Stephen had a big oak tree out front. He buried him under that oak tree. Hmm. You know, but those are two great horses. And, and in my opinion, a Ray Haas is the best horse to ever be at Thomas and Mike, period. Yeah. Period. It seemed like that horse, it's funny you said you couldn't get him to run because what I remember of him is he was so flat, so to go into his stop wasn't like this big gather thing. He was so flat, he would run and just be stopping. And and where a guy needs to be able to get it out of his hand fast, he wasn't going to hit and run you forward on the saddle. Oh, no. He was – obviously, I never rode him, but just watching him, he looked like he was flat. Straight across, stopping, and then we'll just back straight in his tracks. Straight. And and you know, and at Vegas, he'd stay on the end of the rope really good. He he'd pull at Vegas, and that was the biggest thing about Las Vegas. You know, you know, and I don't know if they still do it, but a long time ago, they used to put a, a plywood plyboard base down. Okay. To, and then put the dirt under on. the dirt. Yeah. 
that floor would vibrate. That's why those horses don't like to get back in there. Now, I don't know if it's still that way, but in the day, I that mean, was what it was. you know, because it used to, I could get in the arena, you know, before they got all their new rules and stuff. Let them and, go feel it. And, and you, yo, you could feel it. I mean, yeah, I've been standing in that box before, and one of them guys tied one fast, and you're thinking, is this building going to fall in? Because everything's you know, yeah, just rattling. You can feel it. And well, and if you can feel it, they can too, obviously. Damn right, they can, you know. And so it was different, but, but those, you know, Ray Haas was, he was, you know, he was big time. I mean, in that yep. building, and Cody won two championships on him. You know, he was two times horse of the year. And, you yeah. know, he, he was a great one. But the injections is what yeah. fixed that horse. Yeah. Once we got him not sore, then it was game on, you know. But Real quick, and then I'll let you get out of here. Uh, I want to hear about the restaurant. Okay. You guys have heard me talk about Bale's Hay. Um, I mean, that, well, I've already said everything I can say. It's the best hay I've ever fed. It's the cheapest hay I've ever fed because I don't have to feed as much of it. You know, they steam press it. Just an amazing quality hay. But they've also, if you'll watch the, the promo clips that have come out on social media, they also sell some really cool hats, um, got some hoodies and stuff. And so even if you're not in the market for uh, actual alfalfa hay, check them out at baleshay.com. Their hats are sick. They've taken a lot of effort to make sure they have cool stuff to present. So yeah, check them out, Bales Hay. If you're coming to Arizona this or any winter, check out the Roping Calendar. It is the fastest search engine for how to find what you're looking for here in Arizona. You can search by date, which I mean, there are places you can find dates. You can also search by arena where you click on the arena you're looking for and all those flyers will pop up. You can also search by jackpot number and event, like you're looking for a different kind of event, but also the search by jackpot number, that's my favorite. So if I'm just looking for how to find the number 15 ropens, I click on the 15.5 tab and only the flyers with those ropens will show up. It is the most useful tool in the state of Arizona, in my humble opinion. Check it out, ropingcalendar.com. And yes, before you ask, there's an app. We are... Hot and heavy in the Weehart Wickenburg season of uh, Wickenburg. The 1017 Project is partnered with all of the podcast sponsors to bring you a series called Weehart Wickenburg. It brings hamburger right here to the over 86% of the kids in Wickenburg that are on free or assisted lunches. And every time I tell somebody that number, they just can't believe it that 86% of the kids in the town of Wickenburg are on free or assisted lunches. And so uh, the team ropers are partnered together with Jackpots to make sure that there's an adequate supply of protein going home with the kids who live right here in the team roping capital of the world. When, where, how did a restaurant enter into your list of things to do? <laughs> I had a restaurant in 1990 when I was married to Victoria's mother, my daughter. Her dad set us up in one in Fort Smith. And so I had it for about a year and, and uh, so I kind of got a little taste of restaurant business, but where the cooking came along, Marty Wells and I rodeo in there in 94, five, six, all that. I mean, we cooked beside the rig, you know, cause we'd be at places three or four days, you know, and it's not logical to go to the restaurant when you can cook better than the restaurant food. You Correct. know, so we just got where we cooked beside the rig and everything. And of course, Marty has a restaurant in San Juan Capistrano, really? California, uh, bad to the bone barbecue. Okay. Uh, it's very good. He's been there well over 20 years because I've been where I'm at seven, seven and a half years. Okay. But you know, where it came about was I, I helped kid after I kind of quit rodeo and I helped a lot of kids and the last kid that I helped Tyler Persian, he, he was with me four years and, and we did a lot of rodeo and, and, and the last year he was with me, Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, we, with jackpots, rodeos and all, we went to 225 
events. No freaking way. Yeah. And so he kind of left, went on, you know, his own way. And, and I, what, I was. What's he doing now? Uh, he still rodeo some. Uh, okay. His dad's got a, a oh, grass business, whatever, excavation yep. stuff, you know. But he still ropes some. Uh, but anyway, so after that kind of slowed down and, you know, I, I was you know, pretty well done. I was just tired riding horses and going rodeoing and everything. And It'll make a guy barn sour, won't it? You know, oh, don't well, I mean, you've done it leave. your whole life, yeah. you know. I mean, that, that's all I'd ever done. And and I pulled in to eat breakfast one morning at the Sonic, and there was a Chinese food place in the strip mall, and it went out of business. So I got my burrito, and I drove over there, and there's a big sign that says, for rent, you know. And I drove up to that sign every day for a month because I knew if I did it that yeah. I, had, I had to be committed, you yeah. know, total committed, the only way it work. And so I decided to do it, and uh, my nephew was a, a chef, works for the movies, uh, cooking on sets. He, he came and helped me. And with him, his recipes, my taste, we opened up Buff's Grill. And Buff's Grill comes from back in 81 when I was beating D. Pickett in a basketball game one day at his house. And he got mad at me because I was aggravating him. And he called me a buffalo-headed blank Texan. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Buffalo head stuck. So when it come time to open it, everybody goes, you will call it Buffs? I yeah. said, well, there you go. That's Buffs. And so we opened it up seven and a half years ago. Uh, it's uh, just normal food. I mean, we got a little bit of everything. You know, I, I've got some Buff Chinese, you know, I, 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 you know, food that I like. Yeah. That, that, and that's yeah. what, what we serve, you know, and, and it's uh, it's been very, very good to us. Very yeah. good to us. Is it know? like can't get a seat at Lunch. There's a lot of times, you know, Friday nights are very busy. You know, you never know. I mean, lunches can be packed full. It's mm -hmm. just kind of the mood of the day, but it's done very well. And, and you know, kind of the reason I'm in Arizona is we bought a little bit of property out here because where we live at, that we've been there 25 years now, is because we're not but 20 minutes from where they put it in the new PGA headquarters in Frisco. They're now opening a Disney theme park right there. That's 20 miles from me. You're in the city now. There are already apartments three miles down the road from me. Yeah. So we know we're going to have to make a move. You know, when? Uh, I don't know. Three, four, five years? We mm -hmm. don't know. And we got an opportunity to buy a little land out here. So who would not rather be in Arizona? I mean, it's raining in 30 degrees in yes, Texas. Sir. I yes, don't sir. No, for, for a lot of the year, there's no better place in the world than right uh, here. For yeah. a lot of the year. And then for the other part of the year, there's almost no worse place to yeah. be. But Yeah. Well, you know, we bought, we kind of started looking at this land in July. So I was here when it was 120. Yeah. And I can tell you, 120 is hot. But 120 ain't near as hot as 115 is in Amen. Texas. Amen. Amen. And if you got lights, <laughs> it cools off because it's so dry. It cools off at night. So if a guy yeah. needs to get out of it, you uh -huh. can. In Texas, with that humidity, it just holds. You're there. Yeah, and, and bugs. No matter what time you rope, you're That's gonna right. sweat. That's right. And there's gonna be <laughs> and there's gonna be bugs crawling down your shirt the whole time. Exactly. Exactly. But anyway, but the restaurant, you know, I mean, like I said, it's doing very well. It's done well. We it's all western decor. I got, you know, rodeo pictures and you know, it's got a little bar in it, seats about twenty in the bar and eighty in the restaurant. Yeah. And uh we're open six days a week, you know. So So are you are you going to announce right here? live on the flatbed podcast 
Will there be a Buffs Grill someday in Wickenburg, Arizona? No, sir. Ah. <laughs> right. No, my wife and I, when we when we get rid of that one, we've put a we we've worked our butt off to make that one successful. And, yeah. And so when we we when that one goes, we're we're done. Yeah. We don't want no more. We're gonna. She loves to rope more than I do. You know. Great. You know. So, that's awesome. And that's kind of was the reasoning for us coming out here. You know. Oh I mean, man. We're gonna be retired, and we want to rope. And I play a little golf, not very good at it, but you know what more do you, what do they do out here? Rope and play golf. Well, and I'll tell you, if like for for guys that want to rope, team rope, there are better places you can go to try to go on to other places. I I, I don't disagree. There's a there's a place for Stephenville, Texas, mm-hmm. but for wives, kids, older people, there's never been a place like this before. This is my first year to ever be here. I've never seen anything like it in my whole rodeo career. Yes, never sir. have. And back to what you were saying about this was just talked about it the other day about being in Stephenville, being here. If you're pursuing a rodeo career, wanting to take off, you need to be in Texas. Absolutely. If you're done, you need to be here. <laughs> That's yeah, what you, I told. If you want to be like do dinner at people's houses, yeah. if you want to have people swing by and check on you and hang out and live in a community, they've cultivated that so well out here. They have. Stephenville. It, that's not what it's for. Mm-mm. It's not that way because that's not what it's supposed to do. No, sir. They are, they, it, it's a business over there. Everything's run from a relational standpoint more like a business over there, and it should because that's what it's designed to it do. Is. There, You don't run into very many guys with aspirations of global dominance here. Usually this is where they come after they already did that. So now, right. you know, the friendships and the relationships oh. and the community. and. Well, when I got out here, the little community that I live in over there, you know, I mean, my gosh, when they were driving me around, I knew half of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I That's mean, right. I, it was crazy. You I, see people you haven't seen in 15, 20 oh, years. And... I saw Jerry Jones the other day. I ain't seen him probably 30. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. just, and, and I remember him 1980, I'm, you know, because I steer wrestled and they oh, all yeah. bulldogged and everything. Yeah, yeah, it was, it's crazy, you know, the people, but it's pretty cool out here. Good I, place I, to I be, like for it. sure. I like it. I do. Yeah. JD? Can't tell you thank you enough, man. This is hey, I appreciate selfishly, you having me. selfishly, these, this is exactly, exactly when we started this thing almost two years ago. These were the kind of conversations I really hope would happen. I appreciate you having me, man. It's no, fun. It's been awesome. Thanks, you guys. Thanks again. Thank you.